0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode in, of the BearCast. That's what, that's what I'm going to call it. So thank you for trying to be. of all those of you who've been following me so far on things like Facebook and YouTube and all those sort of good things, this is my first attempt at it, uh, and we're going to give it a go. A lot of you have been saying that you've been listening to the videos, sort of, whilst you're out running on doing things like that. And that's cool. So probably better to have an actual podcast where I'm just going to chat. So this isn't anything professional. Certainly not. I've literally just set it up on my computer and I'm going to record some chatting goodness. However, it is boring just listening to one person chat rubbish of which they have no idea really about at all. So I'm going to... For this episode, welcome My wonderful, amazing, beautiful wife Amy Mason! Wow! Yay! So, um She is here under duress Um, holy And, 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 uh Yeah, uh, I've basically forced her to come and do this with me. But I I do appreciate it, baby. I really, really do.
1: You did feed me first, so that's a good... (laughs) Well, this is is it.
0: So, um, basically, we're just going to sit and chat. Now... (sighs) She's uh, she's doing this blind as well. So, you know, she's, there's no prep for anything. There's no prep by me either. Those of you who know me don't like, know that I don't like to script or think, but just see how things go. Because at the end of the day, if you hear gaps in the audio, it's probably where I've cut something out. Um, disclaimer as well, I might use colourful language throughout uh, during this. Uh, I apologize. So maybe not the best for bedtime for your four-year-old listening. Um so let's give a bit about this. So I, as, as most of you know, and as the title suggests, I am a veteran of 12 years in the British Army, frontline veteran. Not that the frontline bit makes any difference, uh, but I had been on various places around the world and seen lots of lovely things and gruesome things and all men and everything in between in that full spectrum. Um, Amy, give us a little bit about yourself. <laughs>
1: Um, Okay, so I am here as not just your wife, but in my capacity as a therapist. So I have a background in counselling and psychotherapy. I'm also a hypnotherapist, although that's not my day job. My day job is um, I manage an apprenticeship provision for health and social care. Um, you
0: direct, director. Oh, She's a yeah. director. Just recently we made a director. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. I'm going to see if I can find an applaud effect or something because I think that this deserves an applaud af- effect. So if you've heard an applaud effect, I've found it. If you haven't, i failed. There we are. That's a good one. Oh,
1: thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah. So, so what I thought was this. Obviously, Amy and I now have been married over a year.
1: Yay! I know you made a year. Well done, you.
0: That's a third applaud effect. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and then basically, we
0: we we, um, we met online, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, let's talk about it. We met online. We did. We did meet online. Don't pull that face. I'm so glad this is podcasting, so that people can't see that the, my lovely public can't see your face.
1: I think the face was more fear of what's gonna come. <laughs> That's well, what I'm not gonna tell. Was. I'm not gonna tell them
0: <laughs> everything. But now you've got them thinking. Yeah. So. um here we go. The, well, what's the best way to say it? So, so I wasn't in the, in the best of places, sort of, uh, early on, just having come out of the army, struggling to find my place in, in, in the world. Um, previous m- marriage had gone down the drain rather abruptly and was a bit of a painful situation at that one. Um, and yeah, it, you know, life for me wasn't the the, the best and I was just trying to keep myself above float. um, Amy, well, I'll let Amy, what sort of position were you in then? Of course, a couple of years ago,
1: Oh, I was living my best life. <laughs> I was having a great time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, so yeah, so she needed to come down a peg or two, which is why why I got involved. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so that, that that was that was about it really. Um. um and do you know what? People were saying to me at that point, back in, back in those early days, oh, you need to speak to someone, you need to speak to someone. And I, and I, I, I refused to. And my pride was getting in the way and all that type of good stuff. Um, and, and we'll discuss that in, in other episodes, I'm sure, because, you know, over the years, I've sort of managed to look at ways of dealing with that. But I'm just going to talk about things now from a veteran perspective in a sense of it's all bullshit it's all bullshit, all this therapy stuff, all this thing. It, it, I, my, my problems are my own. You know, I don't care, you know, all this sort of stuff. And that's the perspective I'm going to come from. And hopefully, it, Amy's going to, uh, you know, talk about maybe why 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 a veteran or, or, or service person might, might sort of think in that manner. Um, why it is that we... Um, we sort of hide ourselves away a bit, maybe, maybe talk about, uh, just generally speaking about, you know, how th- signs and things that you could recognize that, that may suggest not saying that that is absolutely where that you're, you're going down a, that sort of dark, dark place and sort of potential ways that you can sort of pull your pathway out of, or your journey, so to speak out of that, that, that continual downward spiral. um, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I sort, of, sort of after Amy and I sort of really started making it serious uh, and really made a go of it, very early on in that relationship, uh, I then became uh, seriously injured uh, with by breaking my knee. And my angel that is, Amy Mason Brown, you know, stood by me and hugely supportive. And, uh, you know... Yeah, basically help build me back up to the person that I am today. Now, I'm not suggesting that every veteran goes out, leaves their wife and children or, you know, breaks up with their current relationships and goes and marries a therapist in any way, shape or form. And I'm certainly I mean, Amy will tell you, I still to this day look at her sometimes and go, you're having a giraffe when she's talking about therapies and things like that. Now, is it, would that be
1: fair to say? You do that often, love. The look of disbelief on your face.
0: Is amazing. I mean sometimes it's up there with clairvoyance. I know. I, I just don't I, don't I don't I don't fully understand it. But then, you know, I, I haven't got the, the the brain capacity sometimes to sort of go down that way of thinking. So that's the, that's a little bit about the, the sort of background of where we're coming from. Aimsa. So what what would you say would have been my biggest and be honest, right? Because you know I'm a, I'm a happy person now. I'm I'm thinking, you know, I really don't mind what you what you. With No, I'm I don't mind what you say. You know, I'd, I'd rather be honest because hopefully someone out there, um, either a veteran, uh, a, a service veteran or, you know, ex-firefighters, ex-police people, ex-ambulance uh, people, a- any of those public sort of services people, in fact, anyone who's been through that traumatic life event, what sort of things w- would you have recognised in me that would have said, this guy's a bit tapped. Or oh got some issues?
1: Okay, that's a loaded question, if I've ever heard one. So the first thing I think... I'm I not
0: need to going kind of... to divorce you. It's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just see you try. <laughs>
1: um, the first thing I think you need to talk about is the fact that therapy comes in so many different forms. So When people hear the word therapy, there's normally a preconceived idea. And if you've got the idea that therapy is just for people who can't cope, then straight away you're going to have that negative impact. And I think that's kind of what you had was, ah, therapist is for for snowflakes. You know, I've lived it. I've done it. I've seen the worst of humanity. I can cope with anything. And if people need to go and talk about their feelings, then they're just not able to cope with, with anything. And I don't want to know. If people are coming from that perspective, then it's completely understandable that they won't want to even consider engaging or um, even look into the, the prospect of therapy because actually therapy is painful. It can be really painful for you. When we first started going out, you didn't do feelings. Like right? if people started talking about feelings, you'd walk away or you would absolutely dismiss it because for you. The way that you'd always coped was by switching that off. You know, you go into survival mode and you, rightfully so, that's what you had to do, was to just keep getting through the day, regardless of the horrors you may have seen, regardless of the pain you may have felt, regardless of the happiness you may have felt. You just had to get through the day. And I think that's where people in services, they have such a strong resilience with coping with really horrific situations that it feels almost wrong or alien to think about kind of their own feelings and to feel like they're too much to cope with. Does that make sense? Yeah, certainly.
0: Uh, you know, uh, as I said, it, it's, it is one of those where, um, it, it, it Looking back, I agree with you on that point where you know, hard with fears. um, I think my children would have suffered in, in that sense because I found it difficult to sometimes relate with them or to be compassionate towards them or you know, empathise with them. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, you know, and to be fair, they I have I feel hey, there's that word. I feel like I have a much stronger relationship with my children now i always loved them and i always enjoyed spending time with them I've always had a bit of fun but i think i, I empathize when they when they're pained or upset now um, a lot more than than I, I did when I was younger. If they were angry or naughty and things like that, I would absolutely scream, go straight into screaming and shouting and, and almost treat them like little soldiers, I suppose. And, and you
1: recognise their pain that is valid now, as opposed to well, what you're crying for that's insignificant, you know, that you you recognise that they have a real valid justification of their very own. And you do with me too, to be fair. You know, that, that shift of focus of understanding that people have different tolerance levels at different times, I think is more prevalent for you now.
0: So obviously when, when we're talking sort of back in the, in the generalisation of things, so general service people, and you and you said like, you know, almost a repression, is that the right word, repression of feelings?
1: I don't want to make an, a sweep in generalisation because that's really unfair no, and that's really absolutely. unjust. Um, I think that there is a general... If people are on a frontline, whether that is frontline emergency services, whether that's frontline um, armed forces, whether it's frontline, if we think about with the COVID situation, frontline healthcare and, and social care staff. If people are frontline, they are dealing with crisis on a regular basis. And if they're dealing with crisis on a regular basis, then they have an ability to manage in that crisis. The problem occurs after the crisis has ended or when they're so burnt out that they're still trying to deal with a crisis, but with no energy reserve, no emotional resilience left because they've been doing it for so long that they feel exhausted. And I I, I mean, I don't know, can you echo that coming back from an exercise or coming back from kind of a, a tour where that you're elated for being home, but there's kind of a feeling of, well, what now? What do I do now? How do I cope now? What do I Because you've, you've been going on that autopilot, a kind of sensory response for so long that once you stop that's when those feelings or those thoughts might kick in that are perhaps unhealthy or un, unsupportive with everyday living
0: uh, yeah no uh, and you know it's it's, it's a weird because you go i can't speak for guys who are doing it constantly so i, I, I there's no way i'd ever speak for you know firefighters police Uh, services or any emergency services at all. And I really do take my hat off to all of them, but certainly for our guys, you know, you have long periods of constant um, at the forefront of everything, being a high on guard. And even if you take your guard off, we'll come to that afterwards, take your guard down. um, Whilst you're in base, you're, you know, you're, you're still, kind of about with your body armor you're still kind of about with your body armor and your your so your 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 life is constant on an edge and, and I'm sure that echoes in some part to, to the to the other um, services as well. You know it's, it's it's weird from from an army perspective where we um, you know and purely from that operational that you you were heading towards there. When we, we go out and before you settle, you need to sort of create the picture. And, and, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't make judgments. And, but that's how we survive, you know, you, you're making judgments and those little insignificant, you're painting that picture straight away. So everything suddenly is to kill you unless, unless you deem it safe in some way. So, you know, that when, when we went on, on the last operation that I went out on, you know they were hiding things in like expanding foam that painted and all that to look like rocks. Dead cows were used as explosive. You know what I mean? So everything we had to really be on high. And I know that the guys in Afghanistan and things like that, most of the times that guys were caught out was because it was made to look like just normal terrain. So everything passed, and it was just then luck of the draw of the way you were stepping. Um, so it. it, 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 it it was so you go from that phase, and that's the initial phase. And then as you start understanding the patterns of that environment, and you start recognizing things, and your your mind becomes attuned to what's in and out of place. So your hairs on the back of your necks aren't aren't flying up all the time. You know, for every little thing, you 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 know how you're fitting in and where where the safe bits are, where so you can relax. Ish, you know, in terms of the whole thing, so you're not on hundred percent guard necessarily all the time you can temper that and then you're able to sort of rotate through it and that comes for a large bit and then it's always it's always that that sort of uh, as i'm sure every sort of as you come to that last month and a half month of your tour you're thinking right i've done all that i'm not getting killed the last little bit before i go home so yes you're excited about going home but you 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 become but you ramp up the vigilance again because you're thinking. You, you almost consciously know that your guard's going to come off because you're thinking about home so you consciously think right I need to be extra vigilant I don't want anything to go wrong now at this last at uh, this late stage if that makes sense. Mm.
1: So but the worry then is when you step back into kind of everyday life if you like you've been on high alert for so long and constant vigilance for so long that you're constantly seeing a threat in everything, and, and rightfully so. If that's how you've survived, then it's no wonder, really, that sometimes that that transition back into civilian life for you was, mm. was really tricky in terms of being on high alert for threat all the time and then all of a sudden being thrown into a situation where people don't understand the, the reason why you're on high alert or people don't haven't seen the stuff you've seen, therefore don't understand your reactions to things. That impact is massive in terms of that transition from high threat alert to mundane everyday life. I mean, people
0: often talk about, you know, um, when you leave the army and stuff like that, you're just angry people. And and I always remember someone turning around saying to... Someone applied for the police force uh, from from the army uh, for something or other, and he got declined because... Of his role as an infantry soldier, he was deemed too aggressive, um, which is understandable. But now, knowing obviously the police in- interview process, it's quite, a, quite an extensive process. So I imagine he probably said one or two things that would have come across a, as aggressive at that point. But going back to the feeling side of it, just for, just for a quick moment, the... You, you said a, an interesting thing about um, obviously a lot. I mentioned about repression, and you said you can't sweep across everyone for that because obviously there's so many different ways of dealing with it. But one of the early things you said about me was that I didn't acknowledge my feelings a lot. I didn't
1: acknowledge anyone's feelings, nobody's feelings mattered.
0: <laughs> overrated. Uh, you know, I think it's a bit <laughs> overrated. You, just be happy. No. um and And I think to myself that maybe that's one of the it, it's one of the i don't know maybe maybe I found it easy to fall into just to don't care about it, put it away almost on a sociopathic level, just get rid of all those feelings, don't even worry about feeling about it, but then reopen those the but, potential of
1: yeah, but I would have thought you'd have been trained within that 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 profession so within your army profession surely part of that training is to put your own feelings to one side and respond to the chain of command surely that's (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: (laughs) up there with oh yeah you're in the army you've got taught martial arts
1: no not that you didn't have feelings because everybody does but that that sense of actually you have a job to do and so you do it
0: right no,
1: i just made
0: a really sweeping statement and i really did <laughs> that bit all need to be cut out so no no no. no listen as, as, and, and this is it this is common i suppose common misconceptions for a lot of people uh, there and that's and that's great you know that's that's what i'm looking for is that is that thought process you know people do think sometimes that um you know you get more training than you actually get within the military some of it is blatantly obvious and out on your front so you get told this is being a trainer or this is rifle trainer or this is you know how to build a I didn't a mean you were sat trench. in a class
1: with people telling you how to switch off your <laughs> I meant that as a unit surely you would respond as a unit rather than individual right trying very hard not to make myself come across as putting my foot in my mouth but you would respond as a unit to a scenario wouldn't you you would all have your individual roles, but there would be an over overarching objective. Yes, correct. Okay, so within that overarching objective, that objective was your thing that you were working towards, yeah. regardless of anything else going on. Correct. Okay, so switching from that mentality back into being part of at home, was that difficult from going from that, actually, the overarching objective is the, is the primary thing that we're working towards, to. All right, now I've got to respond to individual and their feelings, and, and actually, and, and work out what that is. Let alone how it impacts people.
0: I always find it quite. I always felt that I found it quite easy to switch from single blooded mindiness into the the focus. One, this is this is it. I've got to get this done. We're part of a team. Can't let the team down. We need to get this done. Yeah damn everything else that is what needs to happen obviously that ramps up when you're on exercise and when you're on things because you don't have the rest of the world to worry about at that point you are you are solely focused on operational mission and you do switch into that sort of that focus that single focus and when you come out you haven't just got a Carry on working, but you're also thinking about your family life, your home life. What about the the rent that, you know, the the kids' schooling, all those sort of things? So you do selling up, and they're all equally as important. Um, you do get career soldiers who just go, I can't cope with all that. And unfortunately, they, they end up being sort of the, the lonely members of, of, of the, the forces sometimes that go through because they are career minded thing so and if you found
1: that well. quite easy what strategies did you implement to help to help you with that transition how did you do that
0: i always felt i found it easy but i think it was just a case of you have to just face it you know the, you, you know but there were times when i buried my head in things
1: okay so that phrase you have to just face it yeah Uh, Is that helpful or was that a hindrance sometimes?
0: Absolutely a hindrance. There uh, there was no real sort of um, way of me being able to, there there was no process to which I knew how to switch from single bloody mindedness to then allow myself to look at everything else um, with a decent, a proper perspective in order to to face it properly.
1: So how did you know if you'd done it successfully?
0: No one was shouting at me.
1: (laughs) Okay, so if you weren't being shouted at, you felt you'd done it well?
0: As long as no one was upsetting me or shouting at me, I thought, okay, we're okay.
1: So how did you process your own thoughts around that?
0: Uh, I didn't. I don't know what what you mean by that.
1: Well, your whole response is going from, if no one's shouting at me, I must be doing okay. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't give any credibility to what you were actually thinking or feeling, because you obviously didn't know if you were doing okay, unless no one was shouting at you. So what happened when you had nobody around you?
0: Just carried on with whatever I was doing at the time.
1: Excellent. So was that useful? So that that being able to carry on, I, I know that that's a skill that you have and you implement that really well, but that idea of, so you fell back on your military training of just carrying on with what the objective was, did that allow you to process any of those feelings around that time?
0: No, no, uh, and this is it. Um, I consider For those
1: my... of you that can't see, Ash is looking incredibly uncomfortable right now <laughs> <laughs> because I've slipped into therapy mode. Don't, don't,
0: don't tell them my secrets.
1: <laughs> no, the
0: <laughs> no, it, it was, um, yeah, it was. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I've always just considered myself to be a happy, and those are people who know me, that I'm a happy, just happy-go-lucky kind of guy, and I just accept I am a happy person. But there was always a, a sense that I was continually having to prove myself. So, but I was never amazing at anything. I never have been amazing at anything. And I suppose it aggressive even for, further back, you know. I was never one of these who could just go, do you know, I fancy joining the army and giving the army a go and then just go and join you. I had to train for, solidly for a year diet in the lot just to get in there. So even the, the the point of joining the army was a monumental achievement for me that I was incredibly proud of. But I, all that was was me bringing, coming up to... Other people's, yeah, I'll go join the army to bring me up to that foundation block, if that makes sense.
1: Okay, so that's sounding like you had to fight just to have what acceptance that other people took for granted. Yeah. So was that the same when you came out?
0: Well, yeah, sort of, because, you know. One of the things in the Army, and I'll say this to anyone now that, that, that I meet who are in or have you get everything you can in black and white, because I did so many things in the Army. And, and those who know me will, will, I'm sure either back me up or, or slag me off because that's the way we do things in the Army. But I could sit in battalion headquarters and chat quite happily to the colonel of the regiment or, you know, the the the, the, the commanding officer, two ICs, all of the officers that are there. And I would sit and converse with them and happily. Uh, and sometimes, uh, I don't know what it was like for them, but sometimes it felt like it was almost just two human beings sat there having a chat. No rank involved, no nothing. It was just a almost like two sort of friends, if you will. And I, I still speak every now and again to to several of them in between. Yes, there was always that rank and role when it came to it. So I had, a, I had built myself up to be a, I would like to say, respected member of the regiment, a, a personality within that regiment. Um, And, you know, from Private Star all the way up to to Commanding Officer you know Brownie was was a respected individual but when you come out you're nothing you're nobody you've lost all that you know and there were guys who wouldn't necessarily be battalion um Italian characters, but there were certainly company characters, or in opportunity presumably everyone in their own way. You build up this solid ball of net, a network of of people that you can sort of rely on trust on. When you leave, you don't bring them with you, and all that sort of back history and thing is is part of you. Your your your, your boy. It's a bit different. If if I was to leave Western College now, no one would miss me in that sense. You know, and and, and I wouldn't really worry about that I would just move to a different job not to drama the reason I think sometimes that um the transition was difficult was because actually it almost felt like a a fundamental part of me being a a person has been is no longer there so I I, yes I'm out of the army and I think that's one of the reasons And, and a friend of mine uh Reese Davis, who came and visited me, uh or came came for a holiday not far from us, and, and we I spent the, the the morning with him and his, his wonderful family uh recently um you know was saying that he's rejoined and people often get drawn back in. But when we were talking about it, sometimes you never quite get the same thing because the people aren't always there. And that continuity of that that emotion isn't there. So and that's what made me think, actually, yes, yeah, some of the reason why I might be, uh, look back fondly on the army, as we all do, um, in the time, regardless of the hardships that were before the palace, that within that, that transition is because we've left some of us, some of our fundamental, you know, people get headhunted in CV in, in Street because their name goes around. And that... Doesn't transfer into Civi Street for us. Your name doesn't follow you or your history doesn't follow you. Don't get me wrong, if someone else has got out and they're like, oh, yeah, this is Brownie, you should go and speak to him, he's got a job. Or, you know, veteran support services help each other a little bit, a tiny, tiny bit, but you have to be caught up in it. You know, generally speaking, when you leave the forces, it almost feels like... I am speaking for myself, I suppose, more so than, than others. But from what I've, when I've spoken to others, you almost leave a little bit of yourself.
1: So not only did you leave the career, yeah. you left the people, you left part of yourself, and you also then left your, for want of a better word, your reputation in your network? Yes, absolutely.
0: And and there's...
1: It's no wonder you came out feeling unsure, isolated, lonely, and lost.
0: Yeah, some of the things you get and some of the opportunities you get within the army because people know you, people vouch for you and people have seen what you can do. It's not black and white. It's almost accepted that that's because of where you are and what you're sat and where your rank is or, or what have you, all these different factors, these these key performance indicators, to call a civic term, uh, create a picture that, most service people understand and, and, and can read. And it's, uh, uh, you know, and to bottle up, we would call it a reputation. That goes forward with you. That goes forward with you and just slightly ahead of you. However, when you come out, that stays there. So you need to have everything in black and white, because unfortunately when you get out on service Street, the only thing anyone wants to see is what you've got written down in black and white your reputation, everything else, someone else's opinion, doesn't matter. Our references, when people get references nowadays, they don't ask for a pen picture. Or oh, can you give us a nice introduction about this person, really? is would you do this? Would you do that? Would you do that? Yes, no. Yes, no.
1: Okay, so tell me what you found difficult then coming out of the army. You realise I said coming out, making it sound like you were coming out later tonight. <didn't> well... <laughs> <laughs> No, what so, was hard about that transition?
0: Uh, nothing. It didn't feel <laughs> like it. It, 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 it. it was exciting.
1: Okay. So you have mentioned before that you were incredibly low and you hit rock bottom. Mm. And in previous kind of podcasts and interviews and all sorts of things that you like to do every now and then, you have indicated that you were at rock bottom at that point. So what stopped you from seeking support? What, what were the barriers?
0: Um, as, as things started to fall apart, so, you know, to finish up, to, to, to further explain my answer for the when you're leaving the army, nine times out of ten, it's because it's greener on the other side. I only I could put on one hand the amount of people who left the army because they but they didn't want to leave the army if that makes sense either through medical discharge or just their time was done and they didn't get the extension that they were hoping for, for for a couple more years service so you come out and you've got all these plans and things like that you know some people are like oh i'm gonna go work for my dad's garage then dad's garage fails or actually they're useless or whatever myself it was i was going to be a digital photographer you know start do proper wedding businesses corporate photos and all that of stuff um i retrained as it as one and then as i came out the digital camera world exploded and everyone was able to take a thousand shots and get at least three or four good shots out of it. So I won't go into the full business downfall <laughs> of my thing, but needless to say, um, maybe I could have marketed better, taken advantage of things, but the money wasn't, wasn't, uh, was a bit of an issue at that point um, as well, because money was tight. Um, and there was various other factors for whatever reason, it didn't work. You know, and in hindsight, I can look back and, and you know, could have made changes, but it didn't work. And because it was getting worse and worse, that, that that spiral started happening. What was your original question? My
1: question was, what was the barrier to, for you stopping getting right. help?
0: And then I got to that point where I absolutely felt like I was a complete failure. And to speak back to people who... Um, who who you respected, uh, loved in in in, a, in some form or another, you know, and say that oh, look, I'm struggling. my life, my life's gone upside down. Is a is a no it, it, it's no. It's a it's a no no. Don't forget, I'd not shared feelings properly. It was all blase boys, laddish cultural, that type of thing for for a lot of it. But it, it was a no no. You know, you don't you don't. You don't really express pain and, and, and suffering uh, you know because and you didn't need to i suppose because within the, when you're in those inside the wire and you work with people day in day out they would see when you were you there was those telltale signs you know that you know, things weren't quite going right they'd turn up a little bit disheveled they, they their timings were slipping they were becoming less and less interactive within the group. So it's almost like you could see, so they wouldn't need to call out for help. You would, as a group, go, that person's not right, that person's hurting, come on, we'll sort them out. It was almost like it didn't need to be spoken.
1: Is that as a result of that close proximity? Yeah. Okay.
0: And so obviously once you've lost the army or you've left the army and you've you've, you've moved away from that support system... No one's looking at you. No, no, one one no one notices. No one cares, and you slip and you slip away into that darkness and the gloom. And and I feel that sometimes that the that that you're um that you you can't admit to yourself either. there's an issue you know there's an issue your whole body and mind is screaming alarms left right and centre but the actual admitting that there's a problem would be the final nail in the coffin because you're still trying to fight off uh, the pain you're still trying to claw your way out of it without having to go without having to ask for help
1: so admitting it almost makes it win
0: yeah that's that's your that's your boom I'm done I need to I need help because you've lost control. You're asking for someone to to come and help with you get that control back, which I think is sometimes why when I was stood on that fence, overlooking a cliff for those of you that don't know, um, I still had control. I still decided whether or not uh, what was going to happen next.
1: So what changed it for you?
0: Well, you know that obviously. Um, weirdly enough, I think it was uh, I was still in a bad place when when you and I started talking and, and, and meeting and that. And I genuinely believe, and this isn't an advert, paid, ladies and gentlemen, for for every. But I think it generally was. You you just spoke to me normally, just chatting, um, and you've got this remarkable knack and I still don't know how you do it but you have this wonderful beautiful knack of we chat even now like I came on and you were the one worried about whether or not it was gonna gonna be that's right, and as you say, you've just got into therapy mode. But you—I don't even realize. I don't even think you realize you're doing it. You just sort of naturally just switch into it. But someone who will just generally listen and you just generally listen, but you ask the right questions as well because you're that bloody good.
1: But what pulled you back at the start? So when you were stood on that fence, what was it that made you step back as opposed to step over?
0: Well, the, the, I stepped up to the fence because I felt that you know I was such a bad such a bad point that there was no way that I was any good for anyone else. I wasn't even good enough for me. So how can I be any good for anyone else? Uh, and the last little bit that I thought of just before sort of taking that deep breath and what have you, the last one, um, was, I suppose, you know, the thought of the kids. And then for some reason in my head just thought, actually, they'll have no, like, you know, I didn't know my father growing up, but they would have no father and the the pain that that must cause them to think that their dad couldn't cope and that was there anything they could have done you know how how many times we hear kids get upset and I hear stories of like oh I've upset my daddy and they and that upsets them you know I think that was a bit that sort of pulled me back off that edge okay
1: and at that point what would have been most useful, do you think, if you were going to be speaking to people who are in that same position? What at, what, what intervention at that point would have been most useful?
0: More alcohol, I think. <laughs> um, no, I, I really, I, I really don't know. Um, it was. Yeah, we were just chatting, and sometimes we chat about random things. <laughs> sometimes we chat about naughty things, but then you know it's and and sometimes we would chat about the the, the thoughts and feelings of going through my head, but I still didn't necessarily acknowledge the feelings at that point. I was still angry when I was angry and happy when I was happy type thing you know I was still very much cut and dry black and white in those types of things and, and oh no that, you
1: still are <laughs> <laughs> that was okay that,
0: that was okay. my that was my contrast of feelings was happy sad that's it okay. don't wind me up don't make me happy if that makes sense um whereas now I feel like I'm able to sort of way more I mean, I've not unlocked anything but I've certainly understanding, empathising with people. I have to know, obviously, with, with my current job, as an educator of mine, I need to make sure that I'm... I don't need to make sure, but I want to. I want to be able to understand and empathise with people's feelings because, let's be honest, it's the one commonality that we all have. We all have feelings of some way or another. And regardless of the, the the terminology and language that is used, the feelings that if someone's sad, someone's sad, regardless of how they express it, that's a, that's, a, that's a feeling sad is something that we can all share and understand. Feeling happy is something we can all share and understand. And I think that in order for me to understand people at that base level, you know, someone could be, have something done to them. Like, like for instance, someone could have had their grades made up or in in education. Uh, their the grades have been inflated and they could be happy but scared because now they're having to do a level three maybe and they didn't want to do a level, all that type of stuff. So you can understand their feelings and their pen, Anyway, push it all over. But going back to me, in terms of the feelings...
1: I think you've given yourself permission to have a wider range of, as you said, you had happy and you had sad, and now you're able to give yourself permission to feel the bits in between, to to, to feel that spectrum, but also understand that other people feel that spectrum in different ways to you. You are much more understanding, certainly not always, but sometimes now you're able to understand if my anxiety kicks in, as opposed to going, Stop being a snowflake. Just get on with it.
0: I have never called you a
1: snowflake. No, because I would kick you backside. But you are—you're—you're you're much more aware now. I think that there are more things out there than happy and sad, and that people are allowed to feel them in their own quantities, as opposed to your measurements. Hmm.
0: Yeah, my understanding of them is 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 is, is limited. Let's be honest.
1: One thing that you asked me previously was. Why do I think that people who are ex military or ex frontline don't access forms of therapy? Yeah. Um, and, and we've talked previously about the fact that often that's because of their con- pre- preconceived notion of what they think therapy is, but also that fear of them having to talk about things that other people don't understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess for me, you can get different types of therapists, but. Therapists will listen to your story and it will be completely unique. So no matter what story you have or what thoughts, memories, visions, feelings that you might have, no matter how horrific you think they are, your therapist is there to hear you. Uh, they don't sit and compare you with other people. They don't necessarily, they're not there to judge you on whether or not your story is horrific enough to warrant therapy. They they are just there to give you that time and space to explore the impact on you. And they might hear people with similar stories, but those similar stories will absolutely result in different responses. You get commonalities, like you do in everything. But in terms of therapy, it is very much a sense of, it is, it is a non-judgmental space, it is a safe space, but it is a place where you can learn to understand your own responses as opposed to what you think those responses should be. So your response is originally you thought that I have to cope with everything. And if I don't cope with everything, I'm not a good enough human. Actually, it's OK to have days where you don't cope as well. And you're really good at being able to say, Do you know, what? I'm having a bit of a crappy day. I need to put some things in place for me to to feel better. Usually that's technological based for you, whether it's Xbox or computer or singing for the world, whatever that looks like you are able to now implement those strategies to help you cope with those days where you might be feeling a bit rubbish.
0: Um, would you say those are non-destructive coping mechanisms?
1: For you, I think that a 26-hour a <laughs> was destructive for your family that live with you. Um, wow. <laughs> well, it was a lot of singing, babe, I'm not going to wow. lie. I kept it, it quiet beautiful.
0: through the night time.
1: <laughs> it was beautiful singing. Um, but so, yeah, they're, they're much more... They're much healthier coping mechanisms as opposed to some of the ones that you may have been implementing previously, such as. I don't think I want to share those.
0: <laughs> drinking.
1: That's going out to the world.
0: Drink, drinking. Yeah. Would be up there, um, but what? Uh, okay, so what type of destructive coping mechanisms would you say are sort of the more common ones for people like that? Then, I mean, I'm assuming sort of things like drinking. Alcohol,
1: that, you know,
0: that's the and, same yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going drinking, alcohol. Do you want to drink and, today? Uh, this? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Well, you've got your your common, Drug use. Yeah, al- alcoholism. You've got drug abuse. You've got gambling you might have self-harm you might have people engaging in promiscuous activity you might have all sorts of different coping mechanisms if they're coming across as unhealthy and they're impacting your everyday life then they're unhealthy you know and there are alternatives to those some people go out looking for a fight because actually that's where they feel strongest it's what everybody's coping mechanisms are different and actually they also can fluctuate over time so for some days people might feel like they need to drink themselves into oblivion some days they might sit in self-harm and self-harm itself comes in a whole spectrum of different things for some people it isn't about um isn't about something necessarily as tangible as that it might be self-neglect they might not be eating for days it might be that they're not washing or they're not leaving the house or they're not having human contact whatever that looks like those unhealthy mechanisms are exactly that unhealthy mechanisms but they're what we do to cope and within therapy with certainly within the therapy that i do it's about examining those mechanisms what is acceptable for you to keep and what do you want to change there's never a forced change it is a a complete empowerment on, well, what works for you and what doesn't. And it acknowledges that that's a coping mechanism. For some people, that self-harm is what stops them from jumping over that fence. Um, and that needs to be recognised. But at the same time, that self-harm can escalate quite quickly. So it's how we work with that and put in de-escalation strategies rather than escalation strategies.
0: So as a, as a sort of veteran then, sort of struggling and going through sort of really bad thoughts I suppose or just you know starting to recognize that that life isn't going the way you want and you, you know you might have had some successes after leaving and then you know some further stresses and what have you or in fact anyone who might be listening to this thinking you know life's just not going right at the moment what would you?
1: Recognizing that is the first massive congratulatory point is is acknowledging that actually I'm not okay because that means that you're thinking about how can you make that better. So there are lots of different things out there. You know, if there are people who are veterans that particularly want to work with somebody who understands what they've seen, there are therapists who are themselves vets. You know, they are they, they have also been there. And sometimes veterans prefer working with ex-military people because there is a shared commonality there. And sometimes we need people that have absolutely no preconceived ideas whatsoever so that you can take it on face value. There are a whole host of um, groups, there's online groups, there's webinars, there are therapies that range in different prices, there are people that work in either groups or individually. Speak to your doctor in your first instance, because actually you need somebody to be... That's providing they've
0: got one, right?
1: If, yeah, well, yeah, you're notorious for that. Yes, speak to a doctor if you've got one. If not, have a look what's about in your local area. And maybe reach out to somebody that's there. If not, drop Ash a line. Because <laughs> he's brilliant at talking to people when they're feeling really low. Just not his wife. Um, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> no, you are good. You are good.
0: Wow. But you're
1: a really good kind of source of contact for people who are who are in a bad place because you're able to empathise and you're able to then signpost too.
0: Well, that's only recent and that's only down to you. Uh, another quick one. If I may, uh, I know that we we're, we're getting on. We're gonna sit, we're gonna be wrapping it up in a moment. But for for the first episodes, <laughs> um, but we um, one of the things that obviously the military gives you is an answer. And There's almost an answer for everything. You know, they they've written pamphlets, have actions on for every possible outcome that is possible there you know everything is has an answer there is a right and wrong way to do things but everything has an answer so obviously by admit they've just admitted now they want to do this and they go to a therapist and they're like right i'm i'm fucking broken here shag how do i sort myself out you know what do i need to do what do i need to do to fix this as a therapist you'd say
1: what i would say (laughs) well let's have a look at what you want to fix, first of all. Uh, you get different types of therapy. So I'm a person-centred therapist, so we believe that the the client themselves has the answers. I don't have the answers. Um, and I, how could I possibly have the answers for somebody else's life? Because that would be me having a very good understanding of all of your experiences and I can't have that until we've had quite a few sessions together. Um, you do get different types of therapy that are more prescriptive that that will give you a prescribed thing to go through. Um, CBT is a really good form of therapy in terms of
0: CBT means
1: cognitive behavioural therapy. It's um often what you would get on the NHS. So that's often what you'd get in terms of free therapy. And it would be looking at um, the root cause of your unhelpful thoughts and retraining your brain into more helpful thought patterns. Um, And that can often give you set tasks to do that help you But with that, that is about how you then keep implementing them. So um, it's very easy to interrupt a habit. It's very difficult to retrain that habit into something new. So if we think about your unhelpful thinking in terms of habitual thinking, if you try and change that, that can take a little bit of time and a lot of effort on your energy. Definitely doable, but it's a commitment too. You also have. A whole host of different types of therapy um, that can work with things like PTSD, that can work with um, anxiety disorders, that can work with OCD. So it really does depend on what kind of person you need to speak to um, and the sort of therapy that you want to engage in, because different things will work with you in different ways. And as anything, some things won't work for you because you will just sit there going, this is a load of rubbish. Um, so it really does depend on on how you want to work and how you want to move forward. But there are a multitude of different ways that you can access that.
0: So if if I was speaking to a veteran or what have you, and don't get me wrong, some people have, you know, reached out and they've spoken to professionals and they've had some, you know, good feedback. And they're like, you know, you've got to speak to someone. Which is the strongest message that we all say is you've got to speak to someone, just speak to someone. Just open that goddamn mouth of yours and speak. However, there will be some people who go, oh, I went to a therapist, but it did fuck all for me. <laughs> it was shit. They were just, it was too heavy, fair, and all that sort of stuff. What are you saying? Are you saying that, well, I like shag? that means it do not work for you, or?
1: No, therapy only works when you're ready. It, it works if you're willing to work with it and if it's the right form of therapy for you so like uh, if I use the analogy of dieting I can only diet effectively when my head's in the space to diet effectively if I go into diet dieting thinking well I'm going to leave this session I'm going to eat five cakes then that's not going to work for me um no matter how much I like that if you go into therapy thinking this is a load of bollocks and I don't want to do it then what's the point in going you kind of have to You have to invest in it too and you have to be prepared to actually explore things, whether they are your thoughts, whether they're your emotions, whether they're your patterns of behaviour, because that's the purpose of therapy is to help you explore those things.
0: But you said that there are more than one ways of going to therapy. So could it be that they've just didn't respond to that particular yeah, type Yeah, absolutely.
1: And just because one, and or, or even the therapist, you know, we, we have connections with people that sometimes we can't really explain. So it might be that you've gone to a form of therapy, but you really didn't connect with the therapist or there was something there in that relationship that didn't sit right. And you can either power through that and think, well, I'm going to give it a go because this tells me something about myself. Or actually for this moment, I need to find somebody that I can work with effectively and who you feel comfortable with. You're not going to, open up your biggest most painful most horrific thought processes with somebody that makes you feel uncomfortable well you might I I wouldn't you know I would very much shut up and not say anything but I would much rather do that with somebody who makes me feel accepted and makes me feel comfortable but again that's how I work not necessarily how other people work.
0: Oh that's awesome thank you so much. No, I'm just, I'm just. Oh, that's awesome!
1: Thanks, <laughs> nice up. No,
0: no, nice. you, no. You, you explain. I think. <laughs> no, I, I think. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean to sound kind of sad about it. That's No, Oh, right. No, no, don't be like that. You I, did I good. meant. <laughs> well done. <then. laughs> you did well. You can have a gold star. <laughs> good explain. No, I mean, I meant also. I meant that's that's hit the nail on the head. Really, for a lot of the guys when they. When they're dismissive of things is because you don't realize they they just see the word therapy in some manner or form. And they go, they recognize there's lots of different ones, but they think it's lots of difference of the same thing. Actually, there are so many different branches of it that they, 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 there are similarities across the board, but there was also actually fundamental differences across a lot of them as well. So, and depending on which theorists they're using and which styles of, of, you know, are they using uh, based around the Indian chakra method or, (laughs) They based around the, you know, the the fact that, you know, what's his name? Who likes to think that all children should have slept with their parents? What's that
1: one? Well, that's Freud. I'm very sure you've got
0: that a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, we can talk about them some other time. Um, But that's it. Um, And I appreciate that because that means that, you know, if people have... You know, we all acknowledge once we start to to heal, we're starting to mend. we all acknowledge that actually speaking about it and just talking about it and addressing it. A was the first stepping point and B, then getting someone to, to listen to you, empathize with you maybe, or just just seeking a little bit of professional help along the way, if needs be, is not a bad thing. And it just depends on, on where you're getting that help from. If you
1: broke your leg, you'd go to the doctor and you'd get it set. and Would then you'd you go back. Well, yeah, yes, you would because <laughs> I'd make it. But you. But if you broke your leg, you would go to the doctor, you'd go and get it x-rayed, you'd go and get it set, and then you'd go back to have that recasted and then checked again by a physiotherapist. But you can see that break. If you're feeling emotionally distressed, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it shouldn't be treated as in a similar fashion.
0: And that's that's, that's the perfect analogy, I think, is that, you know, uh, (laughs) horrible to quote films, but the Matrix. It's
1: lucky you didn't quote Jurassic Park.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, the Matrix. They say that the the body can't exist without the mind. And I think that is true. I think our mind is an incredibly powerful organism uh, and part of our body that... Organism, organ. (laughs) The brain is a powerful organ, of which we still don't fully understand, but we acknowledge a lot more now that we don't control our mind, our mind controls us. Correct. And that, obviously, if we're feeling destructive, we will destruct ourselves and we will auto, you know, break. And so we're broken. So it needs to be fixed and dealt with as much. And you can see that with more and more um, acknowledgement in the in the mainstream sort of medical professions and, and, you know, support groups and things like that. Well, you can
1: get therapy on the NHS now. If you're in hospital, you can get hypnotherapy for your treatments of things such as Cancer, things such as needle phobias. So, therapy is much more widely accepted and recognized now than what it was perhaps 10, 10 15, 20 years ago. Um, but it's there are still people's preconceived ideas that, that cause a barrier.
0: Mm, cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me today, babe. I, I, and for those of you who don't know, Amy is incredibly anxious when it comes to having her voice recorded and things like that. But um, Thank you for agreeing to be on here with me. Um, You know, I find that video is is mental. As I was saying at the beginning, a lot of people who sort of watch the videos and that have said that they just have it on and they're listening to it. And someone else has suggested to actually do it and put a a podcast together because then people can just press and pause and play and what have you and have it on in the car or, or while they're doing their own sessions. Um, so hopefully this is of to, use to someone out there, and someone's listening and thinking to themselves, actually, yeah, you know, you are. I, I recognise some of what has been said in myself, and we'll move forward. And if and if someone is to do that, what would be your your sort of your definitive answer to them?
1: Well, I think if that's the case, then absolutely reach out and fair play for actually recognising it, because sometimes that's the hardest step.
0: Awesome. As <laughs> those of you can't see, Amy just shrugged her shoulders. They have to say, "Is that a right answer?" And I think that's the perfect answer. I genuinely do. I genuinely do. I, I agree entirely for someone who has had to stop and recognise that. Guys, that, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us uh, today. We um, we're going to wrap it up, and we'll look forward to episode two which will be, well, we can't just do a one-off, babe, She's now giving me the evos We're going we're to do episode two probably in about a week or two weeks' time. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> you can't make damn signs at me either. Um, and we'll look at doing something again for a future. If you've got any comments or you want us to talk about anything in particular, you want to listen to Amy. Equally, if you've uh, ex-veteran, ex-service person, ex-emergency services person who's uh, been affected or just wants to come and have a chat, I can set them up now uh, online as well, so we can do a chat over over Skype. I'd love to sort of get some insights for for people out there. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Love you lots. Stay safe. And try and stay happy.